This is Tim Staten stating the obvious where we make sense of leadership principles and turn them into relatable everyday actions that could enhance or improve your leadership style. Welcome back to Tim stating the obvious where I've been absent the last two months because I had to take some time away and focus on my day job and prepare for a surgery that I just had. Now that I'm recovering, I've had some time to think and come up with some new episodes. The next couple episodes will focus on workplace environments and specifically on a meritocracy one. We will get into that later on this episode of what exactly that is. Then we will focus on when outside influences like fraternities or sororities show influence in the workplace and if that's okay or if it's not okay. I'll give you you my opinion on that take. I'm going to take a break from the topic and make a couple announcements. First, I want to thank those of you who have stuck with this podcast for the last seven months. I can't believe uh, that we've made it seven months and we've gotten to this point. But if you haven't subscribed to our podcast, please do so. And if you check us out on YouTube with our interactive interviews, please go ahead and check us out there. These podcasts are also posted there. Hit the subscribe button and the bell icon, and that way you'll be alerted. If you're looking on iTunes, go ahead and hit the subscribe button, and you'll also be alerted uh, when you get new when we post new episodes, and you'll see live and new uh, content there. Also, please leave a comment so we can engage and have a conversation. Also, if you could share this podcast with one or two people that you think may like it, that would help us out tremendously. Thank you so much because of you and your leadership. Your leadership. For those of you who do listen to this, I know many of you are leadership leaders in various levels. Thank you for doing what you do on a daily basis. And thank you for the feedback. I think we're headed in the right directions. We've made some tweaks to the show based off of some recent feedback. And we're going to go ahead and launch this off into the new year right. So thank you so much for doing what you do. So I heard about the meritocracy workplace environment, and I've been told that the organization I work in is a meritocracy one, but I only half believe that, and we'll get into that in a minute. So what is a meritocracy? The term actually came from a book called The Rise of the Meritocracy by Michael Young in 1958. He's a a UK author, and he describes a workplace that values intelligence, hard work, and aptitude over all other qualities. Kind of like survival of the smartest and the hardworking, you know, for those types who kind of want to cue in on it a little bit. In this type of environment, ideas can be shared openly and flushed out into great ideas instead of being harassed or ridiculed for challenging the norms. I don't know about you, but I know when I, you know, at a lot of my jobs, people say that they're open to new ideas. And as soon as you challenge a norm, a lot of people are quick to shut you down because uh, they don't like the change. They don't like the challenge. They don't like the why are you bucking the system type of ideas. So in a meritocracy, that wouldn't be that would be tolerated. They would be open, they would be listening, and they would start thinking about it. So some key characteristics of what this environment looks like is empowering your leaders. So if people that work with you and they're on your team and they're in leadership roles, you are there to foster and empower their leadership abilities and their leadership roles, giving them the discipline initiative that they need to succeed. Also, and in this type of environment, you foster a passion for the organization and it spreads across the entire organization. Uh, when I think about this, I kind of think about like the Starbucks mentality of every time I go into a Starbucks, it is like everybody is so happy that they work at Starbucks. Or if you go to Chick-fil-A, 
all the employees that I've ever met that any Chick-fil-A I go to, they all are super excited and have a passion uh, for working there. Much like other organizations like at Google, Amazon, though I'm not saying that those are meritocracy organizations, but I'm saying that those employees have a passion for the organization and a passion for what they do. And also at the organization level, people encourage active listening. Like they will actually listen to new ideas and they will actually listen and provide candid feedback to flush out new ideas. But these are just some of the visible aspects of the results that come from this type of a workplace environment but also how people move up and get promoted in the organization is also a key factor of the evidence of merit-based performance right so it's data-driven it has to be data-driven because how are you going to be able to tell the difference between who's at the top and who's not at the top you got to look at the data if people are getting promoted they're getting promoted based off of the value of the most senior leadership of their ideas of what's important to them and some of and in many cases it's a profit margin when you take a look at the data they take a look at who are the employees or who are the leaders across the organization that are bringing in the most profit who is bringing the most value to the table and you look at the data the data doesn't lie the data is what the data is so when you take a look at that you have to take a look at what the top leadership defines as what's important because what's important to you isn't necessarily what's important to your top leaders so what i like to do is i like to think hmm, what's important to my boss and what's important to my boss's boss because those are the things that i'm very 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 interested in you have to align your outcomes that are most desirable with those that your senior leaders are looking for and those who have the greatest impact win and you just look at the data and the data speaks for itself but is that really true meaning if we take into the account the human resource programs like equal opportunity and diversity not everyone who is beneficial or making the impo- the most impact can get promoted because then the organization uh, will look like it's favoring or excluding people groups it's not like they're doing it on purpose it's if you're just purely looking at the data and going okay here are our objectives and our goals, and here's what we're looking for. And oh, by the way, here are the top people who are striving towards those goals, and we can actually see the data improvement working towards that way. So these are our top performers. But if you look at that, that may not necessarily fall into lines with equal opportunity and adding diversity when you look at for promotion to the next to the next level. No matter what the data outcomes are, we're all human beings. We all have an innate bias that we have to overcome daily. And we also have perceptions of what is fair and what is not fair. So in a perfect world, we would look at the data and everyone would come to a logical conclusion that those top performers are the top performers. And then everybody else would go, yep, you're right. These people should move up or these people should receive bonuses or these people are top quality. No issues with that. And then They couldn't argue with who the top performers are because the data clearly shows. However, in my many years of being a leader, every time it came for yearly evaluations or quarterly ones, the narrative kind of goes like this. What do you mean I'm not the best? I did everything you asked of me and some. While that may be true, others performed better and the data shows it. And so as a side note, what I actually have is I have a spreadsheet that I keep and of all of the data points that, um, are important to my boss and my boss's boss. And then I am scoring everybody quantitatively 
on how they did and qualitatively on how they performed each one of those tasks. And it generates a score. So, you know, one to five, five not being good, one being the best, three means that you're performing on task, right? So if you got nine people that are working with you and they're all performing on task and they all get threes and you go, well, these three people actually performed way much better and had a better impact and the data shows it, then they get a two or a one and their score gets lower. So the lower the score, the better the data, right? So, and the better the performance. However, even when you confront people with the data, they sometimes don't want to listen to it. And that's okay too, because as a leader, you do the hard thing and say, well, this is my standpoint. The data shows what it is, what it is, and we're going to move on with our day. So I'm going to propose this question though. Do we really work in a truly merit-based system and workplaces? I would argue not really. The framework of an organization can try to do its best to set up a meritocracy, but because of the human aspect and the human perception and domain, and inclusion to get diversity, which I have to say is incredibly important because different backgrounds and different perspectives and different point of views can bring to light something that somebody else isn't going to see. There are intangible things that you get through diversity and equal opportunity that you won't get just by looking at the data. There is a human domain aspect to everything we do. For example, even if I only promote and push forward the top performers of the organization and they're all of the same people group, somebody on the outside side might see that and go, you know what? I'm not doing business with your company because I don't think you're practicing fairly internally. And then I'm going to lose business. And if I lose business, then that's not good either. So there's got to be a good balance between merit-based performance and complete inclusion and diversity because they're all critically important. So unless your HR office is really good at recruiting all spectrum of people and talent, You can't have a truly merit-based system. So how can you achieve success in a system like that, right? So you're told it's based off of performance and and making sure you're hitting all the objectives and the goals and you're giving your quantitative data on where your starting point is and where they're looking at for you to get to. And if you succeeded it, then you fall into a different realm. But how do you succeed in it? Because even though you're doing all the things asked of you, you still may fall short. So I'm going to offer this up to you. One is know what's important to your boss and your boss's boss. Ensure that you have the best data set to work with and then put yourself out there. People in the organization have to know who you are and the talent that you have. Only you can showcase this. If you hide and you just perform and you don't let your name out there and you don't let people know that you're the one doing the work and it's special because you're doing it, then you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing your organization a disservice. You have to let people know who you are in a right way. You know, you don't want to be um, crass about it or overbearing of, oh, look at me. You got to have humility about it. But there's a way of knowing what's important to your boss and your boss's boss and then putting your work out there and taking a risk. Okay. And that goes into the second thing that I'm going to talk about which is sharing your ideas and challenge the norms and ensure that you have the data to support your claims and follow through with it. Follow through is so critical. I don't know how many times I've had a great suggestion that was made and it failed because a recommender failed to follow through with it. Just because you take it to your boss or your leadership and they say, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Go ahead and do it. Doesn't make them the lead or the action person for your ideas. You have to own your idea. You have to, you know, 
take it from cradle to grave for a better of a lack of a term. So from inception of your idea to the pitching of your idea to the successful implementation of your idea, right? And you have to own it. That goes back to putting yourself out there, knowing what's important to your boss and your boss's boss, right? And what's good for the organization, which also leads to the third thing, which is when things go wrong and it's your idea, you own it. How you handle a setback or failure says more about you than when you try to shirk responsibility for it. For example, if you're given an idea and you're following through with it, you're putting yourself out there, you're making the changes, you're implementing your idea, and then it goes wrong and then it fails. It's your idea. Don't make your boss or your boss's boss ever go to something and them have to go take responsibility for it. For example, they're going to assume responsibility inherently because they're the leadership of it. But they also, the the senior leaders of the organization know too, that there's somebody else who recommended that idea. There's somebody else who was working that idea. And there's a reason why it went wrong. So if you're the one out there who's like, I don't know why that went wrong, even though it was my idea, then you Someone's going to look at you crooked. Someone's going to go, mm, no, it's probably you the reason why. But if you own up to it and you say, yes, it was my idea, and here's the reasons why it went wrong or this is why it went bad, and here's how we can get on back on track, how you handle a setback and how you handle a, a failure and moving forward says more about you than when you try to shirk responsibility for your idea or your actions. I've been in uncomfortable positions before where people offer up ideas and then they didn't want to claim their ideas. And then at the last minute, you know, they want to claim responsibility for it even after all the bloodshed is done and people are looking at somebody uh, to own up to it. So don't put people in that awkward position of, oh, it wasn't me, even though it was my idea. Lastly, ensure someone else, any leadership position who isn't your boss or your mentor in the organization speaks highly of you on your behalf, even when you're not around. It's expected that your boss will have your back to their higher ups. Because after all, I mean, they're they're your leadership, right? They're there to take responsibility for your actions or your lack of actions, and they're expected to. But if someone you don't work for is in a leadership position that can take on a role and speak highly of you to those that matter, this counts more than you would probably ever know. If no one speaks on your behalf, then you're dead in the water. Your merit could go unnoticed. So make sure that you always have somebody else in your corner who will talk highly of you when it comes down time to crunch when people are looking at numbers and data and they go, hmm, I got some two top performers over here and they're really trying to make a tough decision when they're including all of the total concepts of what goes into a promotion or a bonus. If someone who is talking on your behalf, who is outside of your boss, who says, hey, this guy is a great guy or this gal is a great gal and they're a hard worker and this is why I think they should get it, then that speaks volumes about you even though you're not there. So make sure you always have someone in your corner. So in a meritocracy work environment, yes, your performance count. Yes, you have to perform well. And yes, you have to get out there. You have to challenge some some norms with data that support your claims and follow through with them. Own the idea when it's good and own the idea when it goes wrong. And make sure you have someone in your corner. So in a meritocracy, merit counts. Your hard work does matter. But there are untangible aspects out there that do play into account. And there's other aspects that we're going to get into in another category that could play on your behalf in a negative way or in a positive way. And we're going to talk about both sides of that in the next episode. But for this one, we're just talking about what a meritocracy is and what that 
what looks in the workplace environment. So I want to thank you for listening to today's episode of Tim Stating the Obvious, where we talked about meritocracy. But before I end, I would like to ask if you could please subscribe, comment, and share this podcast and provide some feedback. What has your experience been in an organization that was a complete meritocracy environment? Or have you never worked in one? Or do you work in one that they say is a meritocracy, but doesn't really act that? If you haven't visited our Patreon site, I would love it if you could stop by there, check it out, and see you could be part of the family, and keep the show and the content coming. Lastly, I'm very interested in hearing about you and your stories and your experiences to keep the discussion going. It's great that I you know, am able to hear from people who are offline. They send me notes or I'm talking to them in passing. They say, hey, I heard your podcast and it made me think about these ideas. And I love getting that feedback, but I would love it even more if we could just put it online where other people can hear about it and see about it because they probably have the same idea too. They just don't want to put it out there, but I'm putting it out there. So that's the whole thing about this show. Also, if you don't know how to get to our Facebook page or our Podbean account or our Patreon account, in the d- details of this podcast, those links will be there so you can click on them whenever you want. And that way you can contribute to the show and be a part of the family and also be a part of the show. Uh, if you do comment on iTunes, though, I will actually make, I'll read your comment in the next episode and I will also. Uh, Thank you for making a comment as well, because it's important that you took the time to write something down and provide some feedback. So I appreciate you doing that. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and come back for another one. I'm Tim Staten, stating the obvious.